Welcome to the Catholic Podcast. I'm your co-host for this week's episode, Chloe Linger, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Joe Heschmeyer of Holy Family School of Faith Institute and the blog Shameless Popery. Both Joe and I work for Holy Family School of Faith, and our main thing is inviting adults to become missionary disciples. We are three weeks into Lent, and that's just about the halfway mark between Ash Wednesday and Holy Week. This Lent on the Catholic Podcast, we've been meditating on the Stations of the Cross. Thanks to the wisdom of Cardinal Ratzinger's 2005 Stations of the Cross meditations, we are digging in deep to what it means to pick up our own cross and to follow Christ. So far, we've talked about the condemnation of Christ, taking up the cross, and redemptive suffering. This week, we're going to be talking about the falls of Christ on his way to Calvary, as well as our own falls along our way back to the Father's heart. Before we talk about incorporating these stations into our own lives, let's begin with the Stations of the Cross meditations from Cardinal Ratzinger. For this week's episode, we're going to do it a little differently. Uh, For the last two weeks, we've looked at one particular station in greater depth, and we're going to do that this week with the ninth station, Jesus Falls for the Third Time. But to kind of see the full beauty of that, we really have to at least get a little bit of the first and second falls, which are the third station and the seventh station. This will all make sense when you hear the meditation for the ninth station. For the first fall, which is the third station, part of the meditation says, Man has fallen, and he continues to fall. Often he becomes a caricature of himself, no longer the image of God, but a mockery of the Creator. Is not the man who on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among robbers, who stripped him and left him half dead and bleeding beside the road, the image of humanity par excellence. Jesus' fall beneath the cross is not just the fall of the man Jesus, exhausted from his scourging. There is a more profound meaning in this fall, as Paul tells us in the letter to the Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. In Jesus' fall beneath the weight of the cross, the meaning of his whole life is seen, his voluntary abasement, which lifts us up from the depths of our pride. So then for the second fall, which is the seventh station of the cross, The meditation reads in part, Throughout history, the fall of man constantly takes on new forms. In his first letter, St. John speaks of a threefold fall, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He thus interprets the fall of man and humanity against the backdrop of the vices of his own time, with all its excesses and perversions. But we can also think in more recent times, of how a Christianity which has grown weary of faith has abandoned the Lord. The great ideologies in the banal existence of those who, no longer believing in anything, simply drift through life, have built a new and worse paganism, which, in its attempt to do away with God once and for all, have ended up doing away with man. And so, man lies fallen in the dust. Those are really a preparation for the meditation of the ninth station. So we'll begin. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. From the book of Lamentations. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter 
and be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Lamentations 3. What can the third fall of Jesus under the cross say to us? We have considered the fall of man in general, and the falling of many Christians away from Christ and into a godless secularism. Should we not also think of how much Christ suffers in his own church? How often is the holy sacrament of his presence abused? How often must he enter empty and evil hearts? How often do we celebrate only ourselves without even realizing that he is there? How often is his word twisted and misused? What little faith is present behind so many theories, so many empty words? How much filth there is in the church, and even among those who, in the priesthood, ought to belong entirely to him? How much pride, how much self-complacency? What little respect we pay to the sacrament of reconciliation, where he waits for us, ready to raise us up whenever we fall. All this is present in his passion, his betrayal by his disciples, their unworthy reception of his body and blood, is certainly the greatest suffering endured by the Redeemer. It pierces his heart. We can only call to him from the depths of our hearts, Kyrie eleison, Lord, save us. During each of these Lenten series episodes, we're going to invite you now into a moment of reflection. If you need to pause and then rewind this episode a few minutes and listen to the meditation that Joe read again. What themes jump out from the meditation when you hear about these three falls of Christ? If you enjoy reading things during your time of meditation, you can find this meditation on our show notes over at cathpod.com. Ask Christ to lead you to what he specifically wants you to focus on during these stations. Joe and I found ourselves drawn to a couple of themes during our own meditations on these stations. One of the first themes that we both ran across was this idea of self-sufficiency. Cardinal Ratzinger writes, Let us strip away our sense of self-sufficiency, our false illusions of independence, and learn from him, the one who humbled himself, to discover our true greatness by bending low before God and before our downtrodden brothers and sisters. Another theme that Joe and I focused on was the fall of man into secularism. In the place of a heart of stone, Cardinal Ratzinger writes, give us a heart of flesh, a heart capable of seeing. Lay low the power of ideologies so that all may see they are a web of lies. Do not let the wall of materialism become unsurmountable. Make us aware of your presence. Keep us sober and vigilant, capable of resisting the forces of evil. So just what does it mean for us to fall? Both our general fall into sin as mankind, but also this fall into secularism that we see so prevalently in today's society. To give us a better picture about the beauty of grace and weakness and the role that they play in the fall of man into sin, we invited back a familiar voice to the Catholic podcast. Hi, I'm Steve Picorni. I'm the founder of Freedom Coaching, found at freedom-coaching.net, where we are working with both men and women to break the power of pornified images permanently. You may remember Steve from episode 34 of the Catholic Podcast, Redeeming Our Vision from a Pornified Culture. I'm going to link that episode in the show notes if you'd like to go back and listen to Steve's story more in depth. 
We asked Steve to share how he struggled with the sin of lust and pornography for more than 12 years. So when I was five, my father decided that he wanted to take care of our family, but he wanted to do it by betting our house in the stock market and the deal lost. And he thought the best way to do that would be by killing himself. My long story short, my father was put into a nursing home after my mom had pulled him out of the garage and his short-term memory was gone. So I grew up pretty much without a father. So there was this aching and gaping hole in my heart that I've been searching to be filled up with love. And my father would pass away from cancer when I was uh, 17. And in between that time, um, I had been exposed to pornography as an attempt to fill up this desire for love and nurturing that I did not receive from my father. And as in the world we live in, we find that fatherhood, uh, fathers are, are absent in many cases. And, and so I, I am no stranger to this. And as a replacement, pornography entered in. And in that is the, the counterfeit of what is true intimacy, true love, true connection with another person. And these images are so powerful that I was bound to them. I became a slave to them. And over the course of about 12 years, um, this was my life. I was 12 years a slave, as the old movie title, title goes, and thought that this would be the rest of my life. I will never be free from this. And I had tried everything. I tried all coping mechanisms. You can possibly imagine that of um, just don't look at don't look at it. Go pray the rosary. Go to mass. Go to confession. Um, you know, get accountability partners. Get a spiritual director. Be threatened with getting a tattoo. That was an interesting one. So um, all of those didn't did not work in them in themselves. And by the way, and minus maybe the tattoo one. Um, if if they work for a person, if they actually help to solve the problem, then then do them. Please do them. We definitely need grace. But for me, um, that was not enough, and I needed something more. And so I was led over many years led to a place called Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. On a Saturday evening, they had something called a festival of praise where um, they were singing and praying intensely. And one of the phrases from Isaiah 43, 19 came out and it was, do you not perceive it? There are streams of living water that will begin to flow. And what that living water was, was this whole, the Holy Spirit. And I begin giving him a crack of my heart, begin opening my heart a crack. And from this um, there was a transformation that began to take place. Two weeks later, led to a place which we are all familiar with, is the Holy Mass. And I had begun going to daily Mass, receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God incarnate, and moved gratitude for what Christ had done for my life. But then I realized it wasn't just Christ, it was the Father. It was the one that I thought had abandoned me, had walked out on me, had left me for so many years. But in truth, he was carrying me. He had always been carrying me. And he wanted me to just be still, to be held, to be loved. And finally, I, I surrendered. And in that surrendering, there was freedom that came there and a freedom that would last for four months. And then like Peter, who sank back into the water after taking his eyes off Christ, I sank back into what I call the septic tank of our culture and thought, I, does this discount my story? And in fact, God wanted to get to the root so the things I needed to continue to surrender, continue to give over and over going through, going through theophastic prayer, going through something called intensive trauma therapy, which was writing and drawing of, of images, conversation, and then also discovering the church's beautiful vision of sacred art, especially of how the body can be unveiled a 
appropriately, this chain was broken permanently in me. And the desire to want to look does not exist in me. Praise be to God. And so I use this work and what's been a, a development from my own personal testimony, but then also hard science, but then also through solid theology of the Catholic Church, being able to help to set free many other people, men, women, uh, Catholics, non-Catholics. And it's been a great grace. Cardinal Ratzinger writes, let us strip away our sense of self-sufficiency, our false illusions of independence, and learn from him, the one who humbled himself, to discover our true greatness, bending low before God and before our downtrodden brothers and sisters. Steve is the founder of Freedom Coaching. It's a one-on-one mentoring system designed to break an attraction to pornified images. During our conversation, we asked him to speak into the roles that grace and weakness played in the founding of Freedom Coaching and how his ministry helps others embrace their true identity as beloved sons and daughters of God. There's some context that needs to come in before we can answer that question. And I think the context is going back to the Garden of Eden, right? After the fall, Adam and Eve were wearing masks and they hid from each other. And I think we all we all wear masks to certain degrees. Some are larger than others. Some are much more apparent. Um, some are very hidden, even hidden from ourself. And the issue is God doesn't want us wearing masks, okay? It's fun to wear a mask at Halloween, but in day in, day out life, masks keep us from entering into relationship with others. We are built for relationship. And I think if we look at the world today, the fact that we have eroticized so many situations, the, the idea that two men or two women can't be close together unless it's an erotic uh, experience, a false or a false eros um, of, of entering into lustful situations, speak so far how far we've fallen from the notion of genuine friendship between same sexes, male and male, female and female, but then also genuine friendship between men and women. And this is an utter tragedy because what we are looking for most is we're not looking for romantic relationships most. We're looking for genuine friendship and these keep us from this. And so in the work that I've done with freedom coaching, I see this all the time, especially coming from the wounds that have, were received from growing up of not receiving or, or not being fully open to the love that they had from their mom and dad. Again, so many people coming from broken situations, broken family situations. And even if they were in an intact, meaning mom and dad, their biological father and mother were there and present, what we're seeing is so few of these fathers and mothers who may have had good intentions never had healthy honest open conversations growing up consistent conversations about human sexuality about what does it mean to be a man what does it mean to be a woman what do we do with these these erotic longings in our heart and in the work that we do with freedom coaching there's a peeling back of those layers of helping a person to see themselves as God really sees them. And this does take vulnerability. And we have to remember vulnerability in relation to God is not a weakness. It's a strength. Because if we look carefully at a woman's body, a woman's body is the unique creation in all of creation that speaks his language of receptivity, to receive. She has on a physical level, the ability to receive love and do her, to conceive life there and to bear that life forward to the world. 
every man and woman has a feminine relationship with God. If I'm speaking to any man out there who's hearing this, this doesn't take away an ounce of our masculinity. But before we can do anything, before we can initiate anything, which is the language of a male body, we first must receive. We must receive from God because we must first learn what it means to be a man. Okay. Whereas in femininity and in, in womanhood, this is something that is internalized, something, and especially because all of us come from our mothers, a woman with her own mother, the way healthy development is supposed to be that closeness, that, that vulnerability there. Men, this masculinity must be imparted to us and we must first receive here. And this plays into our development or lack thereof if we don't receive this. In this whole conversation, that peeling away of layers, what are the ways in which we have failed to receive? What are the ways in which we've failed to be open and honest with ourselves, with God, and with others? This idea, I love this, that the quote that was shared of Pope Benedict, right? That we've got to strip ourselves of our self-sufficiency, of our false illusions of independence. Because in the, especially in the Western world, is this notion of utter independence, that I don't have to be dependent on anyone, and that I can define reality as what it is. Well, that's no, that's not true at all, is there is a given reality. And, the, and when, and until we find uh, an acceptance of the reality of God's reality, not the brokenness that we find of sin, but God's reality, where grace is present, grace being the way I like to define, define it, the life, love, and power of God, which is always operable. When we open ourselves up to that, then um, that's where the healing can really begin. That's when things can start to be transformed in us. This does require our humility, a humility of recognizing who we are on the side of God, just like our Blessed Mother was totally open and vulnerable to the love of God, to have something utterly new transform her. The, the mistake that we make, especially if we've been dealing with various compulsions or various things, various attachments, it might not be pornography, it might be anger, it might be a bad self-body image. We have this false notion that I have to do this on my own, that I'm the one who has to solve this problem. No, it is God working in us. It is that fiat notion of letting it be done according to your will. Let it be done in and through me. And so it's being also spiritually naked with God, fully available and open here of recognizing I don't have it all together. I, I have a brokenness in me and I need you to perhaps break me even more so that I can allow this transformation to come forth through here. And I think this is an important point because in the church today, especially in the Catholic churches, we've got a lot of homilies that are going on. And I don't want to, I don't want to hammer too many priests too hard, but I think there's some, there's some responsibility there where uh, we're, we have these platitudes of homilies and we're not being, we're not talking about the brokenness. We're not talking about the, the weakness that we have and that Christ is truly the redeemer of all those things. And then also many of us come to church. We come to mass Sunday. We maybe put on our Sunday best, or maybe we don't even matter. We don't do that at all, but think that where I'm at is just okay. And God's okay with me just being okay. To a degree, that's true, right? God will accept us where we are right now, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And this requires us to tap into what are these desires that God has planted in my heart? What is the pain and aches that are here and start listening to them? Because the pain that's there is an echo 
of the plan that God has for our life. When we can do this, then there can be that beginning stages of utter transformation that come here. That we are that the any chains that we may have with us. Let's limit our our gaze here to talking about pornography. Any of those attachments that have happened through these very powerful images, the way in which we've been formed or malformed in our sexuality. This is where that transformation is able to start coming forth because the scales can fall from our eyes and we can start seeing with a redeemed vision. Christ's first fall on his way to his death at Calvary teaches us about the dangers of self-sufficiency and about man's fall in general into sin. But when Christ falls for a second time, Cardinal Ratzinger writes that this fall teaches us today about Christianity that has grown weary of faith and has abandoned the Lord. So in the place of Christ, we've accepted these great ideologies where we no longer believe in anything and we simply drift through life. To talk about this fall into secularism, we sat down with a friend of ours who may be a familiar voice to you too. Hey everybody, it's Brandon Vaught. We asked Brandon to share what his experience with secularism has been. You know, I converted to Catholicism when I was in college. This was about 10 years ago. And at the time, most of my friends were at least nominally religious. So they would still go to church. They still would say they believed in God. Um, but since then, I've noticed that many of them have drifted into this sort of secularism, humanism, this sort of belief that you know, they're not only indifferent toward God, but they're not even sure God exists. They're not even sure they believe in objective values and, and moral facts and, and duties. Um, and it's really disheartening for me to see because I think Joseph Ratzinger hits the nail on the head that when, when you abandon God, you lose more than just some intellectual comfort. You lose a piece of your humanity because if, as we Catholics believe, is is right that we're created in the image and likeness of God, then that means that in our very being we're wired for God. And so if we're looking for God in all sorts of false substitutes, whether it's wealth, power, pleasure, honor, we'll inevitably be dissatisfied. And this is what I see among among many of my friends, and it, it breaks my heart. You know, I have friends that, for example, they they center their entire life around sports, watching sports, playing sports, following sports, and you see these temporary moments of elation when when your team wins the championship or when you have a particularly good performance. But then that buzz sort of wears off. It's almost it's like a drug or it's like any other type of addiction that you, you experience these momentary fleeting periods of happiness, but it doesn't endure. And it's because you're you're trying to fill this cavern in your heart, which was designed to commune with God with with some other substitute. And in the end, it's deeply dissatisfying. And so I've again, I've noticed among my friends a lot of a lot of heartache, a lot of frustration, a lot of confusion. You know, what's my what's my meaning? What's my purpose? Is this all there is in life? Are are these sort of fleeting passing pursuits. And so I think that's what Ratzinger is getting at here. You simply, without God, you simply drift through life. The existence becomes banal. It, you know, day after day, it's the same empty routines. There's no overarching arc of, of purpose or meaning. And he says they've built a new and worse paganism, which in its attempt to do away with God once and for all, have, has ended up doing away with man. So I think that gets at the heart of of what I'm trying to say is when you reject God, it's not like you're just saying, well, I'm no longer going to go to church on Sundays, but the rest of my life stays basically the same. When you reject God, you lose the foundation for ultimate meaning and purpose in your life. And so you drift along this 
banal existence without deep, true fulfillment. What what kind of tips would you say in terms of reaching out to you know friends and loved ones uh, who may find themselves uh, flirting with or maybe deeply entrenched in secularism? One of the things I've tried to focus on the past years with friends, with family, with people online is just to get God and religion back on their radar. Uh, because I think the most prominent form of secularism today is what I'd call indifferentism. It's just that th they don't even care. They don't even think about God or religion. It's not that they hate it. It's not that they're antagonistic toward it. It's just not on their radar at all. Uh, we were in Rome uh, a few months ago doing these little street interviews where we would approach random millennials on the street in Rome. So these would be millennials from all over the world, not just America. And we would ask them basic questions about God, about the church, about the saints, um, one of the questions we asked is, what's, what is the best thing the church has ever done throughout history, and what's the worst thing? And predictably, lots of people had things to say about the worst thing, most commonly the sex abuse crisis or the Inquisition, the Crusades. Those came up again and again. But only one person of the dozens of people that we interviewed was actually able to think of, of a good thing that the church had ever done. The one person even—and they said— well, they used to help poor people, but not so much anymore. <laughs> I thought, man, uh, but when we asked these other questions, it became very clear. It wasn't just that they were ignorant, although I, I guess that was true. And it, but it wasn't, it wasn't that they were even responsible for their ignorance. They had just now grown up in a culture that, in which the, the Catholic Church played zero role. It didn't occupy any of their thoughts. It wasn't mentioned at home. It wasn't promoted in school. If they ever heard about it, it was only in relation to bad things. So for so many people today, this secular culture has just squeezed out religion completely. So if I could offer one bit of advice, it's just to get them thinking about God in ways include, if you're on social media, post a religious video or article or something and say, hey, I'm curious to know what you guys think about this. You know, I really liked it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Maybe it's a video from Bishop Barron or it's an article from some Catholic newspaper or periodical or something like that. So float something in front of your friends and family on social media and then ask them what they think about it. Or if you're more comfortable doing something like this, get a good book or a good DVD series, a good, you know, Catholic themed book or video series and give it to somebody and say, Hey, I just read this book and I, I found it really intriguing. Be curious to know what you think about it. Um, so you're physically putting something in on their radar. You're physically getting them thinking about God and religion again. Um, but I, I think that's the biggest hurdle that we're facing today when it comes to engaging the effects of secularism is just getting God and religion back on people's radars. Because until you do that, no arguments, no apologetics, no evangelization is going to make any headway because they're just going to be totally closed off to, to things of God. So we need to get them thinking about it once more. Brandon works for Word on Fire with Bishop Barron, and we asked him if he's seen any transition between when he started in ministry and his ministry with Word on Fire today and how secularism has impacted the conversations that he has with those who Word on Fire ministers to. I think when I first started working with Bishop Barron and Word on Fire seven or eight years ago, a big part of our outreach was to fallen away Catholic. These would be people that were raised in the church. They had a basic knowledge of religious things, but for whatever reason, they just kind of stopped going to Mass. You know, they, they stopped really practicing their faith. And so a lot of our work was re-enchanting them with the beauty and intelligence of Catholicism. So I think that's where the Catholicism film series was 
was so effective because it touched this deep place of nostalgia in a lot of people. And they said, wow, you know, that I remember, you know, being enchanted at one time by this extravagant beauty and the, this intelligence of this tradition. And I, I, I want to come back. And so early on, we got lots of stories from people following that pattern who said, I was baptized Catholic. You know, I went to Catholic school. Maybe I even went to Catholic college, but then I stopped practicing and now I came back. Today, however, I think things have shifted in that the large majority of our audience are what I would just describe as secularists, people that have no religious experience. You know, at most, a lot of the people we engage were baptized, but they never really went to church growing up. They never had any sort of religious education. So we're really starting at ground zero with a, a lot of the people we engage today. Um, I think that parallels the general culture. Uh, I think that this past generation is, is far less religiously educated and catechized than than the previous generation. So that means the task for us Catholics needs to shift. Um, we, we need to back up even all the way to the fact that there's objective truth in the world, that you know we can actually know things with certainty through logic and argument. Um, so these are the sorts of things we've been focusing on uh, with Bishop Barron and Word on Fire the last few years, but they're things that we didn't really focus on as much. We kind of took for granted in the earlier period. Finally, we asked Brandon if he had any tips for having conversations with others who have fallen into secularism. I recommend a few things. Uh, one of them is I wrote a book helping people to do this exact thing. Uh, it's called Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. It's kind of a cheeky title, but I wrote the book for non-Catholics who have no religious background. So this would include atheists, agnostics, um, it would include the so-called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those who don't identify with any religious tradition but might still identify as spiritual in some way. So in that book, I lay out a case from beginning to end that God exists, that Jesus is God, that Jesus started the Catholic Church. I try to show why the Catholic Church is not only true, that what it teaches is true, but that the Church is also good and beautiful, and that these are three converging reasons to consider being Catholic. If you read that book, I think you'll get really well-equipped to talk about these things with other people. Uh, I also recommend the website Catholic Answers, uh, which you can find at catholic.com, super easy URL to remember. Uh, but they have tons of great articles, podcasts, videos, equipping Catholics to better able to discuss and defend their faith. They, they tend to uh, have a heavier emphasis on apologetics, meaning the defense of the faith. So if you're challenged with a particular question or objection, they'll tell you how to answer that. Um, for more proactive evangelization stuff, um, you might turn to Word on Fire, wordonfire.org. That's Bishop Barron's uh, evangelization ministry. Um, also, I guess uh, I'm a big fan of St. Paul Street Evangelization. Um, so that's S-P-S-E, that's their abbreviation. I think it's S-P se.org, something like that. If you Google them, you'll find them. Uh, but they train Catholics in going out on, on street corners all over the country. They have thousands of members doing this, and they pass out rosaries. They share conversations with people. They offer prayers. But these people are on the front lines of evangelizing those far from the church because they're meeting people in the cities and the marketplaces and the beaches and the sidewalks and, and just not necessarily directly proclaiming the kerygma and evangelizing them, but building bridges of trust and openness and curiosity so that, again, religion gets back on their radars. 
We hope that this episode has given you a chance to meditate on the falls of Christ and the stations of the cross, those three falls of Christ that we remember, especially during Lent, as well as our own falls, the fall of general humanity, our fall into sin, the fall into secularism, all during our journey here on earth. So let's close this episode in a prayer. Lord, your church often seems like a boat about to sink, a boat taking in water on every side. In your field, we see more weeds than wheat. The soiled garments and face of your church throw us into confusion. Yet, it is we ourselves who have soiled them. It is we who betray you time and time again. After all our lofty words and grand gestures, have mercy on your church. Within her, too, Adam continues to fall. When we fall, we drag you down to earth, and Satan laughs, for he hopes that you will not be able to rise from that fall. He hopes that being dragged down in the fall of your church, you will remain prostrate and overpowered. But you will rise again. You stood up, you arose, and you can also raise us up. Save and sanctify your church. Save and sanctify us all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Catholic Podcast is an initiative of the Holy Family School Faith Institute. To find out more or to see how you can contribute to our mission, check out www.schoolfaith.com.